welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Indigenous doctors make up less than half a percent of all physicians in this country. Experts recognize the need for more Native medical professionals and the hope of improving health statistics for Native patients. Several college programs now work to recruit Native students to fill the growing need for health professionals in areas with Native populations. We'll check up on the drive to train Native medical students after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The third day of the 2023 statewide annual Elders and Youth Conference at the Denina Center in downtown Anchorage, Alaska, started off with a Native dance group from Unalakleet and a touching speech from youth keynote speaker, Indigenous land protector and model Kwana Chasing Horse, Gwichian from Eagle Village, Alaska, and Oglala Lakota tribes of South Dakota. More workshops broke out in the early afternoon, which included salmon cutting, practicing self-governance, and the much-anticipated Native Youth Olympics. NYO was created by Alaska Natives to help develop crucial survival skills in harsh weather and environment. Today, the youth compete in the games to preserve and display their cultural identities in modern-day life. Mayo Nishkian is a coach at the Lani Da'a School in Chickaloo Native Village, a small town just north of Palmer, and is also one of the NYO instructors. She came to the gathering with three students ages 8 through 10. She says NYO today is more than just physical strength and endurance. It's about supporting each other, helping each other. So you'll see kids from different teams teaching each other how to do certain moves, helping each other out. So it's very different than most Western sports. And the cultural learning that they get, whether they're Native or non-Native, helps them appreciate Indigenous cultures. One of Nishkian's students, 10-year-old Colt Jennison, shared what he's excited about doing during the workshop. One foot or maybe Indian, if there is Indian. And my is awesome. Duke Ngo, another instructor and a coach from Juneau, is anticipating the 2023 Arctic Winter Games, which will be held in Alaska this year. He says while he's not certain yet about his involvement with this year's competition, he's looking forward to the games coming to his home state. It's really exciting, and uh, we'll definitely hope our team Alaska would do their best to, um, to, to do their best and be able to have fun at the games. As the Elders and Youth Conference is beginning to wind down, preparations are underway for the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention taking place at the same location starting Thursday. Guatemala's three-week-old popular uprising led by the country's indigenous citizens is beginning to turn bloody. At least one protester has been killed as armed vigilantes attacked a group of protesters on Monday. The uprising's indigenous leaders say they're fighting to save their country's fragile democracy. More from Maria Martin. As this week started, there were fewer blockades across Guatemala, but people are still leaving their indigenous communities to come to the capital to protest and demand the resignation of corrupt Justice Department officials. Meanwhile, Guatemala's Attorney General Consuelo Porras is calling for the government to use force against the hundreds of thousands of largely indigenous peaceful protesters. The protesters want her resignation and that of other officials leading an investigation against the party of anti-corruption president-elect Bernardo Arevalo. 48 Cantones leader Luis Pacheco expressed disappointment that Guatemala's president, Alejandro Chamate, ignored their demands during a recent dialogue. 
We maintain hope and prayers that the struggle, a peaceful effort for democracy, has a good outcome, says Pacheco. But yesterday, in various places, violence broke out in the indigenous community of Malacatan in the border province of San Marcos, for example. An armed group of vigilantes attacked the protesters. A food vendor who was part of the protest is reported dead. More are hospitalized. Representatives of ancestral authorities say they'll be coming together soon to discuss next steps in light of the violence. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education sovereignty, it begins with us. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. The number of doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals is falling. Both the Association of American Medical Colleges and the American Association of Colleges of Nursing predict even more vacancies in the future. That's a problem for Native Americans who suffer from disproportionately poor outcomes in a number of physical and mental health areas. The good news is a number of health education institutions are looking ahead and specifically recruiting Native students to fill the growing demand. We'll hear more about those efforts this hour, and as always, we want to hear from you. Is there a shortage of doctors or nurses in your community? What could help build trust in the clinics and hospitals where you live? Or, if you're a medical professional working in a Native community, tell us why you do it. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are open. From Duluth, Minnesota, we're now joined by Dr. Mary Owen. She is the director of the Center of American Indian and Minority Health and Associate Dean of Native American Health at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She's Tlingit. Hello, Dr. Owen. Welcome back to NAC. Hello. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for inviting me. Olivia Sloan is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She is the Native American Nurse Liaison and Senior Research Nurse for Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Center. She's Navajo and Tohono O'odham. Hi, Olivia, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let's go ahead and get our conversation started now. And Dr. Owen, I'd like to begin with you. Why the shortage of medical professionals? What's driving the problem? 
Well, it's nothing new. It's been going on for decades. These numbers, like you pointed out, are, are um, lessening, actually, when we were we had paltry numbers to begin with. And I think it doesn't take a genius to look back and figure out where it's from. We don't have enough of our students coming through the pathways in the first place. For instance, um, our high school graduation rate in this country is easily 10 points below that of non-native. In my state, where I'm from, in Duluth, or in the city, Duluth, Minnesota, the high school graduation rate is actually only 43%. And I say that number, recognizing that we don't like to talk about um, that we want to be more positive, but we have to recognize that this is an area that we have to work on. The, um, when I was the president of the Association of American Indian Physicians, we started something called IHEART, which is Indigenous Health Education Resource Task Force. And it's, our goal is to make develop hubs of regional pathways throughout the country, recognizing this problem and recognizing that uh, although we might be short of native physicians across the country or native healthcare providers, it's not just native physicians, we're short in all areas, that there are some regions that are even um, less uh, populated with native healthcare providers and that we need to recognize what's going on in each region specifically and address that. And again, raising all health professionals, not just um, a few. And, and the other good news is that some schools have been doing this for a long time, like my own school, the University of Minnesota, University of Washington, um, and North Dakota, certainly, when Dr. Warren's coming on later, but there, we're getting more schools to join in this effort. So we're going further back on the pathway, all the way, this iHeart goes all the way back to kindergarten, and we're getting higher numbers of schools um, up at the top that are recognizing this need and working on the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Owen, I know that, that medical careers are, are stressful, uh, they're emotionally taxing, and there's, there's a high burnout rate there. So how do you counter that problem? How do you encourage young Native people to pursue a profession that can be really, really hard to, to deal with at times? Well, the benefit that they have and uh, as Native health professionals is that we have a culture that is supportive and builds community around each other, right? So as soon as they hit the medical school in Duluth, for instance, we recognize one of the strongest, uh, the biggest problems that is faced by Native students of whether in any of these health professions is that they're leaving their communities. So we build community around them immediately and we encourage them and we help support the continued growth and sustain and for them to sustain these communities. It's critical that they have other people to turn to and also their culture to turn to when it gets really rough. I also don't think, um, although we do face burnout, I was just thinking about this before I came on this call, we also recognize as indigenous people that we can't leave the game, that our, our families and our communities are still being impacted. Mm -hmm. So while some people can leave and say, no, I'm tired, I'm burnt out, I can go do other work, we don't, we don't do that, and I don't think that we can do that. Occasionally people do, but I think most of us stay in the game in some way because of the continued need of our communities. Okay. Dr. Owen, I have read that... Um specifically with regard to MDs, physicians, that the, the AMA, the American Medical Association, they work very hard. They lobby to make sure that there's only a certain number of medical schools and only a certain number of people that graduate every year to become doctors. And they do that intentionally to create demand because the, more, the, the fewer doctors that there are, the more money that the doctors that do have MDs that they're able to earn. Is there truth to that? And if so, how does it impact... Uh, Native kids and na young Native people who are interested in becoming MDs. That's so funny that you mentioned that. Not funny. I was really, um, when I took Economics 101, that was the classic model. I was just horrified at that. Um, 
It does not. Nobody's pushing back. I mean, I think it comes through the selection process of medical school in part, I'm guessing, and then residency. Although um, I'm on admissions, and I know that um, we are striving in my school, for instance, to get more Native applicants, and so we support them as much as possible. I don't know how that plays out with the AMA. I haven't seen it in person, except for that I know it's hard to get into medical school. Um, the side that I know of, the reason that we're so hard on screening is that we have to make sure that our students can succeed in medical school, because the worst thing would be for them to get in here and then acquire debt and then not do well. So they're going to have debt and then feel lousy about themselves if they don't make it through the program. So that's why we're so tough on it. I don't know how the, the AMA um, piece plays out. Mm -hmm. I do question some other things about the AMA, but that's another, another topic. So okay. All right. Well, Native medical students, obviously you mentioned the debt, uh, very strenuous, demanding course loads. Uh, what are some of the other challenges that, that Native medical students face today? Well, one is that um, if they're not going to a school that has, well, even if they are going to a school like mine that has community set up for them and other Native medical students, they're still in a crowd that is primarily non-Native. And so often, you know, like when I was brought into medical school, uh, person, Dr. Gerald Hill, who pulled me in, pointed out, look, all these students around you, these white students, have mentors everywhere. We don't have the mentors. So that's the point of programs like my own, is to bring students in community with mentors, other Native physicians. So we bring them to the annual meeting, Association of American Indian Physicians all the time. The other thing is that we don't see ourselves in the curriculum. My school is addressing that. Right now I'm in the process of building a curriculum that's over 75 hours just on Native health for our students. But that is not typical. Most schools don't have anything on Native health. Dr. Melissa Lewis is doing some beautiful, has done some beautiful work to um, highlight that. So that's probably one, they don't have, um, they don't generally have community unless they're going to a school. And I encourage all Native students to look for a school that's got that strong Native program so they can have community. They don't have a curriculum that's about them. That's something else they should be looking for. The debt is high. And then also, people don't recognize that not only is the debt high, uh, medical school high, but most of our population lives in poverty. Not most of, but a large percentage of our population lives in poverty. So a lot of my students, it is not uncommon for my students to be working in medical school, which is crazy given the load that medical mm -hmm. school is. Those are just some of the barriers. There are many others. Right, right. And one thing I've learned, too, is that medicine is very much of a, of a family career. And I know that a lot of people that go to medical school, their parents are doctors. Even sometimes their grandparents are doctors. So they're kind of familiar with that grind, and they've got that support system. Uh, but a lot of our native young Native students, they don't have that benefit, right? They're not necessarily coming from that's, homes that's where their parents point. are doctors. Yeah, their parents can't tell them what to expect. The parents can't help them with all the forms, the 5,000 forms you have to fill out, or um, which advisor to go to or to go to advisors. They also, sometimes our families aren't aware of just how demanding medical school is and don't understand why their person, their family member isn't continuing to contribute to the family in need. So that's been something we've had to work on. Uh, and that's another good reason to build community. Our community events include family members all the time. One, because it's our cultural, norm, but also because we need our families to understand this load. What about the location of medical schools, Dr. Owen? Because I know for, you know for a long time, th there wasn't a medical school in New Mexico, for example. The University of New Mexico Medical School has been around, I think, since the 70s. And 
What impact does that have when, when young Native people, not only is it tough to get into medical school, but they might have to travel a long ways, go somewhere where they're not going to be around other Native people. They might be isolated. Do you see that as a risk as well? Absolutely. That gets to the point, like I said, of building community around them because they're coming far, far away. So we end up having somewhat of a, a pan-Indian community, which is perfectly fine. But you are absolutely right. One of the um, points behind iHeart is involving uh, a key partner in this is AHEC, American Indian Community um, uh, Consortium. I'm sorry, it's the tribal colleges. Um, and because we know that our students want to go to school near their communities, near their families, so we know that those are the strongest source or the biggest source of students who are really committed to serving Native communities. So they're critical to this work. Um, and that's also the, the point of iHeart is to build these regional um, pathways so that students don't have to come all the way to Duluth to go to medical school if they want to serve their tribe in Alaska like I did. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, Dr. Owen. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and take uh, the first of, of two breaks that we take on every show. And I do encourage listeners to call in with your insights, with your questions. We're talking today about the need for Native American health professionals and what it takes to get a, a Native American health professional licensed and through school and ready to serve in a community. Uh, it takes education, it takes support, it takes a community effort as we're learning from Dr. Mary Owen, who is the director of the Center of American Indian and Minority Health. And she's also an associate dean of Native American Health at the University of Minnesota Medical School. And uh, she's based in Duluth, but she shared with me earlier that she's actually on the road right now to the Twin Cities, so she's got a little bit of a drive ahead of her. We're going to talk more with Mary and our other guests after this short break. So folks, please stay with us. The push to control the types of books in public schools and libraries is targeting titles that promote racial diversity. A number of Native American authors are finding their books on lists that a vocal group of organizers say are inappropriate. We'll get an update from the front lines in the fight over limiting racial and cultural literature. That's on the next Native America Calling. Attention all ranchers, farmers, and conservationists. You can join the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance at their three-day annual meeting in Las Vegas starting October 24th to strategize for a sustainable future. Topics include tribal farming and ranching issues, tribal forestry programs, and more, all to strengthen tribal sovereignty through conservation. The session will also be live-streamed online. More info, including registration at inca-tcd.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about shortages of Native medical professionals. Are you studying to go into the health field? Have you been affected by shortages of doctors or other health professionals in your community? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Or maybe you are in medical school now or you're in nursing school. Give us a call. Tell us what you're experiencing, what the challenges are that you face. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest, Olivia Sloan, is the Native American Nurse Liaison and Senior Research Nurse for Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Center. And Olivia, again, thank you for joining us. And tell us about your work with cancer patients. Is there a different approach when treating Native patients? 
Hi, yes, absolutely. Um, honored to talk about the experiences here at Krista St. Vincent. Um, so I serve as, as a research nurse, uh, and we actually conduct clinical trials here in Santa Fe. And the whole goal of our program here is to make sure that we provide access to research opportunities that patients wouldn't otherwise have access to. We know a lot of our new patients can't afford to go to Texas or California, um, and even sometimes Albuquerque can be a hardship if they're up north. And so how do we make sure those patients get an opportunity to be a part of a clinical trial and advance cancer care um, closer to home and closer to their families? That's interesting. And as a nurse and a healthcare provider, Olivia, what do you offer your patients that, that a non-native health practitioner or professional cannot? You know, I think for those of us who grew up in the Indian health, getting our care from IHS um, or have worked out in tribal communities or rural communities, we absolutely know what it means for those patients to come all the way to Santa Fe and get their cancer care first. We, we know it's scary. We know patients don't hear a lot of the information in their first visit. And so hopefully knowing where they're coming from, being familiar with, with their, their living challenges and sort of barriers to care, we can actually meet the patient where they are. And hopefully we can be that warm hand that uh, guides them through their cancer journey. Um, one of the things I think being on a clinical trial that a lot of patients don't, you know, there's a lot of mistrust and Rightly so, um, natives have been misrepresented in, in research for, for years. For us to be that voice that educates them on what being on a clinical trial is actually like, you almost have an extra layer of support. We have, they have our personal numbers, they always have somebody to call. So it's almost like having a, na a navigator through the healthcare journey. Um, and we understand that and we have, take the time to listen to the patient and it's through that building that relationship with the patient, with their family, often many family members, that that we they learn to trust us. And I think we actually get to learn more about them that, that doesn't always come through in a 15-minute visit um, with the provider. And so we get to know their personal challenges and hopefully find ways to address those challenges. Well, that's one of the challenges I find going to so many healthcare providers is you're, they talk to you for just such a brief period of time, you know, especially like doctors, sometimes you might maybe two or three minutes and then they do a quick diagnosis, maybe prescribe some medication for you or something like that. So, um, and I know it's a, it's a demanding profession and, and, you know, you're churning through patients. So how do you make sure to, to get that time with these native patients? So you really can kind of dig deep and, and earn that, that trust that you talk about. Cause that, that must be challenging at times. Definitely. I mean, I think nursing is one of the professions where we actually often get to do that in an outpatient setting. Um, you know, we're a community-based hospital. When you're in an inpatient setting, you don't always have that time. Um, and I give all those nurses inpatient credit because they are working with so many patients at once. Being a research nurse, and I never would have would have known this because it's kind of on-the-job learning. There's not a one-size-fits-all job description for a research nurse, but we get time with the patient outside of those clinic visits. We can, you know, set up a separate room and talk to them through their treatment. We can sit next to a patient while they're getting their chemo infusion. A lot of times the clinical trial requires that we call the patients or do visits with the patients more often. 
And so it's through those additional opportunities for time that we get to learn more about about the family. Um, you know, you may not get to say, well, I have to take care of my grandma so I can't make it to my treatment. Mm-hmm. Through the the navigation process in a clinical trial, we learn that information and try to figure out how to how to work with the, with them to make sure that they they can get their treatment because of course that's that's the most important. We want to reduce the disparities and outcomes um, that that native patients face. Uh, that you know across the country we have we have some of the worst health outcomes for cancer. Um, so I cherish that extra time. And Olivia, as a research nurse, are is it common? Are there a lot of other Native research nurses? And what type of additional training does that require as compared to other types of nurses? So, uh, coincidentally, um, I actually, well, I did a master's in public health at Johns Hopkins, and so I was very fortunate to be familiar with research. However, direct service clinical research in a cancer center I was not familiar with. And it's, it really is mostly on-the-job training. Um, and you know everybody on our research team gets so excited talking about our clinical trials, and um, it, it's on the job training. You have to learn how to how to read protocols, how to read the calendar of events. There's all these different pieces that um, time points where you have to check off a box and make sure that you are assessing the patient um, and you know educating the patient about the science and that they're actually becoming part of the future of cancer care gets really exciting. And a lot of our Native patients actually, I think, as much hesitation as there is in the beginning when you present them with a consent form, because it's scary reading about all the potential side effects they might experience. Um, Once you kind of talk through it, and, and I have done this with a table full of 20 family members, grandparents, you know, aunt, auntie, uncle, niece, um, a lot of patients do it for altruistic reasons. They say, if it's going to help my grandson, my granddaughter, I want to, I want to help, help fight cancer in the in the future. Oh, geez. So inspiring. Olivia, what, what first drew you to the nursing field? I began my career out of college, um, actually doing Native American health policy. And as I'm sure everybody listening knows that that takes a long time to change. Um, So then I thought, well, maybe research is the way to to change outcomes. And so if we get the data, we're going to change policy and make a difference. Um, It was actually during my my MPH program that my father was diagnosed with cancer back here in Santa Fe. Um, I, I left for about 15 years. And so I came home and I saw how hard it was for there were no clinical trials that he was eligible for here. There weren't, they weren't actually that many being conducted. And so we, we looked, you know, in California, we looked in, in Texas, knowing it was going to be a hardship. But after he passed away, I really decided I wanted to be a direct care provider. And so it was after his passing that I, I went to nursing school. And I, you know, somewhere in there, I knew I wanted to do cancer research despite not having a strong um, scientific underground, I mean, um, background. And as part of your job, are you able to mentor young students and uh, encourage other natives to enter this type of field? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, our whole our whole team is so passionate about research. Um, 
And, you know, cancer is such a huge field and there's so much to learn. I learn something new every day, reading a protocol and reading the science. You literally learn something new every day. Um, but to um, the doctor's point, you know, finding those pathways for, for young people to actually link with us and creating a more formal uh, mentorship program that's something I think we really would love. We are envisioning, but we would really love to formalize. Um, clinical research, there's so many different roles in that field. And to be able to be from your community and serve your community in this way and teach about science, it is so rewarding. Um, we want more people to know about, about clinical research, and we want to support them doing that. And so um, over the past couple of years, we've actually been getting more requests. Um, would love to see more Natives, because then the Natives that come in as patients and they see Native staff or staff that look like them, um, you know, it is easier to build that bridge with the patient and build um, And again, hopefully that encourages them to make sure they're coming to their appointments, getting the treatment they need. Olivia, thanks for joining the conversation. Uh, I'm going to bring another guest into the fold now, Dr. Donald Warren. He's a co-director for the Center of Indigenous Health at Johns Hopkins University, and he's Lakota. Dr. Warren, welcome. Hi, Dr. Warren, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you great. Wonderful. Uh, Dr. Warren, now this is interesting. You're looking at creating a Native American medical school. Tell us more about that. What all would that entail? Yeah, so I've been very blessed to work in a number of different settings, including several universities and medical schools. And what I see is that there's so much uh, uh, longstanding colonization of our educational system that we're really learning uh, a foreign way of, of healing and a foreign way of instructing our future healers. And I think one of the big challenges is that we have a medical training program. And in truth, many of our health professions training programs can be very traumatic to the students. They're not uh, designed to be a healing process. And, you know, I, I talk about this with some of my colleagues who are in medical education, and it almost sounds uh, blasphemous to say, you know, what if medical school was a healing process instead of a traumatic process. And the way I look at this, and when I think about training in traditional medicine, and again, again, I'm Lakota, and I'm fortunate to come from a family with a lot of traditional healers and medicine men, and the training is about making sure that the healer is also healed and balanced, mm -hmm. because we're better healers if we are coming to that relationship with the patient uh, with, our, with our own balance. And modern medical training doesn't do that at all. We really create a lot of imbalance. And in my own experience, of course, I went to medical school a long time ago in the early 90s. And there was almost like a, a sense that it was a hazing process, you know, that that the elders teaching us medicine had gone through these terrible experiences. Therefore, we need to go through these terrible experiences. <laughs> and a lot of my colleagues finished medical school feeling very burned out and very angry. Then they go into residency, it gets even worse. And then we see that having a huge impact on the doctor-patient relationship. I think what we need is an indigenous focus. We need to decolonize and indigenize medical education, and we should be focusing on the health and well-being of our future doctors and future providers. And we'll only strengthen and improve 
the health outcomes if we have a, a healed workforce rather than a traumatized workforce. And so that's just one example. There's many examples of how we could really improve a curriculum. But we have a model for this. You know, the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities, they have five medical schools in their network. In our tribal college and university system, we have zero. So we have a template for doing this. And what we really need to do is incorporate indigenous ways of knowing and indigenous healing practices into medical curriculum because that's what our patients need that's what they're looking for so there's just a whole host of benefits to doing this and uh, very fortunate to have several colleagues of the association of american indian physicians that are collaborating on this idea okay well dr warren i have heard those horror stories uh, (laughs) about medical school and residency as well and i know a lot of MDs also suffer from mental health issues, so it sounds like uh, this is a, a really, really interesting approach that you folks are working on. I'm going to go ahead and take a call now. We've got Chanupa, who is listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, great, and you having this subject on health. Um, for the brother that's trying to get this uh, medical college going, hey, I want to say, Wopila Kanka to you from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Here at the Oglala Sioux Tribe's uh, IHS, the Indian Health Service, I started a program because my education is in the field of um, mental health. I'm a psychologist. I went to school at the University of Lincoln, and I graduated with uh, um, my field in mental health, and I came back to work for my uh IHS here, but I only lasted for three years because I started this program, and it's called Oyate Awoyankapi, okay? We the people looking out for our own, and from a psychosis level in the mental health field, people always think that these psychiatrists that come into the reservation are going to do some tremendous work. That's not true, because as a mental health, uh, as a psychologist, I would determine the facts if these people needed medication or not. Mm-hmm. And when they mm-hmm. didn't need medication, because all the problems that happen in Indian country, it's all family-related because of indoctrination. And the okay. doctor there, the guy running for that thing, he's going to agree with that. But thank you for having this subject about the health concerns in Indian country. And thank you. Thank you, Chanupa. Appreciate that call. And uh, Dr. Warren, that's a call from your neck of the woods there in in South Dakota. And uh, interesting perspectives there from our caller. And I want to ask you, Dr. Warren, because you mentioned, um, you know, the the need for the medical school. And, And tell us a little bit more about how this will work. I mean, is it is it economically feasible to create a medical school targeted to just a very specific population, such as Native American students? Yeah, very very good question. And also, uh, Wopila to my, my brother at Pine Ridge. I'm enrolled at uh, Pine Ridge as well, and I'm calling in from South Dakota at the moment. So wonderful to hear Chanupa's wise words. In terms of the medical school, we're in the process of starting a feasibility study. So we'd look at the financial feasibility and other considerations. But yes, it absolutely is feasible. And again, the historically black colleges and universities 
are very successful with very good medical schools. Again, they have five medical schools in their system. And in thinking about a, a medical school, it ideally would be, it has to be in a city big enough to support a medical school. It can't be in a small town because you need medical specializations and clinical training. So it has to be in a city big enough to support it. Then ideally a city that does not have a current medical school because the existing medical schools don't like the new ones taking up clinical training sites, you know, so there's competition for that. And then, of course, mm-hmm. a place where we have a lot of indigenous patients. So thinking about that, I mean, a place like Rapid City, South Dakota, and then where Olivia is calling in from Santa Fe, New Mexico or Anchorage, Alaska. So just as some initial scan of, of where it could be located, there's many potential sites for this. And we would admit not just indigenous students, we would want people who have connectivity to indigenous communities and can show that and demonstrate real commitment to our people, because we have a lot of non-indigenous allies that we should be collaborating with as well. So we're just in the early processes of this feasibility study, but we're very excited about the opportunities. We're going to take another break now. I encourage uh, other people to call in with questions or comments, any insights you can offer with regard to nursing, training, medical school, any other type of of medical professional education that we're discussing today. 1-800-996-2848. Lakota made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Native doctors and medical professionals today about the importance of Native healthcare providers. What would you say to a young Native person interested in the medical field? Join us at 1-800-996-2848. We've got another caller on the line right now, Mark, listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. Alito. Alito. Um, Let's see. I think I'm a um, black Indian, Choctaw and Bijago. Um, I'm the son of a doctor, the brother of a doctor, and the father of a doctor who's practicing uh, what I would call complementary medicine. So I'd have to agree not only that the medical education is colonized, but it's actually systematically racist because it defines your cultural practices as pathological. And so you kind of have to push back against that and begin to, um, you know, study how racism is perpetuated. And Mm -hmm. I know certainly in in Indian country, even talking about institutional racism kind of paints you by some elders as an aimster, but the fact is it does exist (laughs) and it is perpetuated and you do have to fight back against it skillfully. So when I'm talking about complementary medicine, not only the Western science, but the indigenous scientific practices that have stood us in good stead. Uh, I personally am a substance abuse 
uh, disorder okay. person. And basically, I've been in practice for 50 years. So basically studying how health disparities are replicated intentionally means you have to start your patient education maybe before Head Start. That soon. That soon. soon. Okay. That soon. Because... Mark, I really appreciate you calling. We got another caller that I want to take, but uh, complimentary medicine, and that really rhymes with what we're hearing from Dr. Warren as well. So thank you, Mark, uh, listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Let's take Carl now. Oh, I think we lost Carl. We don't have that call. So I want to go back now to uh, Dr. Warren. And Dr. Warren, so that was an interesting call we just had from Mark about complementary medicine. And, And tell us a little bit more. I mean, you know, obviously you've shared how this school could have the this Native American approach with regard to culture and even some spirituality. Tell us a little bit more, though, about how it would actually unfold and what it would look like uh, in, in real time with students actually attending this school at some point in the future. Yeah, and I love the idea of integrative medicine. And I was very fortunate after my family medicine residency, I did do a fellowship in complementary and alternative medicine. So I have additional training in botanical medicine, homeopathy, and acupuncture. And when I was a full-time clinician within IHS and with tribal programs, the patients responded to it very well. I think that just culturally that most of our communities are accustomed to having a holistic approach and recognizing that not all of our healthcare conditions are gonna be solved with the pharmacy and prescriptions, right? There's other things that we do. So what I would envision is that we incorporate ceremony. We need ceremony-assisted treatment. We need to have healing of the healers. We need to ensure that we have land-based healing and recognize the, the, the healing power of the earth. And, and medical school doesn't do this at all. And the previous caller is right that in many ways we're, it's almost like a, a pathology from the Western uh, colonizer's perspective. And in truth, this is our way of healing. It's our way of knowing. And we also have to recognize that modern medicine has already co-opted a lot of our healing practices. And, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, are there any hospitals that are incorporating traditional indigenous medicine effectively? And my answer is every single one of them, because every hospital that uses aspirin is actually using willow bark tea, right? And we've been using that for thousands (laughs) of years for medicinal purposes. So, so there's just so many examples of indigenous medicine that's being used now, but it's not being recognized for its indigenous roots. Mm-hmm. Dr. Warren, really appreciate all this information. I really like what you said about medical school as a healing process as opposed to just training. I, I think you're, you're really onto something there. And I want to bring in a, another guest in the conversation now, uh, Dr. John Gonzalez. He's joining us from Bemidji, Minnesota. He's a professor of psychology and co-director of Indigenous Students in Psychology Training at Bemidji State University. He's also a member of the White Earth Ojibwe Nation. Hello, Dr. Gonzalez. Welcome to the show. Ah, Boujou. Glad to be here. Boujou. Well, tell us more about your program. You focus on mental health instruction. Uh, What's the aim of bringing Indigenous students into this? Yeah, I mean, you know, along the lines of the other two guests that are talking, there's just a lack of uh, mental health providers in general, and then even more in terms of Indigenous or Native mental health providers at all levels, right? So our program, you know, is at the undergraduate level, um, you know, is really focusing on trying to provide a mentorship program, a support network uh, for our Indigenous students who want to major in psychology with the goal, of course, of them, you know, graduating with their undergrad degree and then 
getting into a graduate program, right? I mean, you know, I, I'm at, I just just got done speaking at a conference here in Milwaukee um, that's focusing, on, you know, that was talking about K through 12 education and just the struggles that Native students have, even graduating from high school, right? And then, you know, when they get to college, I mean, there's even few of them, and you know, we have even worse graduation rates at the undergraduate level. I mean, I think it's like less than, you know, 40%. It's like 37% of our Native students who attempt college graduate within that four to six year period. So our program is focusing on ensuring that they're getting through their undergraduate program. We have a network, a mentorship network. We're bringing Native psychologists from around the country to be guest speakers, and to, we have dinner with them in, in formal settings so that they can see that there's a pathway for them, right, that there's another Native person who's gone through their education, who's got their master's or a Ph.D. in psychology, and they're out there doing great things for their community. So they get to see that pathway, right, and then, you know, we want to support them you know, we do culturally appropriate supporting and mentoring with them. We meet with them every couple of weeks and do talking circles with them. And really, you know, it's not so much even checking in in terms of what's happening in the classrooms. It's really checking in what's happening at home, right? I mean, you know, Native people, you know, I mean, as Dr. Warren and, and others have said, is that, you know, it, you know, it's it's a really, it's a colonial system that they find themselves at the university you know, and we want to make sure that they're being supported and they're being mentored so that when they graduate, um, they can go into a graduate program. And we're in our third year. We've started with some small grant funding, um, and we've already, you know, have three, four students who are in master's programs. We have about three of them that are planning on graduating this year, um, and they're, these folks are looking at Ph.D. programs um, around the country. And, and, you know, so that's what our program is really all about is this and making sure that they're graduated, but they're undergraduate degree. So they can go to graduate school and get their master's or their PhD in, in mental health in some field. And these students, Dr. Gonzalez, what are their ultimate goals? Do they plan to go back and work in native communities? Oh yeah. I mean, that, you know, I mean, that's, that's one of the driving forces for a lot of us native folks who, who've gone to higher ed. I mean, it was for me and it's for, you know, I think I'm sure for Dr. Warren and Dr. Uh, Sloan is our, 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 the other guest there as well, too, is that, you know, they, I mean, you know, it's all about wanting to serve the community. So that's, that's certainly true for these folks. They want to get their undergrad degree. They want to get their graduate degree and come back and serve their communities. And I actually want a couple of them to come back and replace me. You know, I'm not going to be at the <laughs> university forever. I want them to come back and, you know, be a native, you know, professor at Bemidji State University, you know, and, and just sort of take it over and just continue to grow and so on. Yeah. Right, right. Dr. Gonzalez, I've heard some medical professionals say that where, where there's a challenge as well sometimes is, is you get these students and they're really smart and they do great and they finish school and they've got these goals and these dreams of going back to serve, but then ultimately they get snatched away by these urban clinics and healthcare centers and mm-hmm. providers. And do, you, do you struggle with that? Do you see competition ever from, from non-Native employers that could potentially snatch some of these students away? Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, that's, that's a real phenomenon. It's a real thing. I mean, I, I think, you know, it does happen, um, you know, but ultimately, I mean, I think, it, you know, I really love it. I'm really inspired by Dr. Warren and with Don, Don saying, hey, Don, if you can hear me, um, really good to hear you, um, about this idea of like a med, an, uh, an indigenous or a Native American medical school. I mean, it'd be, you know, if we could sort of create even something for like mental health providers, I mean, I what, what I, my point with that is that if, if the students and these young people are grounded in their identity and, and sort of who they are and they're grounded in their communities and you provide that support for them through their education, that they're going to see the value of giving back. I mean, that was true for me, right? I mean, I struggled as an undergraduate. I was like one or two 
at any of the only Native students in my classrooms, right? I went to a graduate program that had the inside program at the University of North Dakota that was specifically for American Indian students to get their PhDs in clinical psychology. So you find yourself in that, you know, in that support network where you see other Native people doing the same thing that you want to do that sort of, you know, instills in you this sense of giving back and you want to give back. And I think most Native people want to give back. It's, it's part of sort of who we are. You know, we're a very giving people, right? I mean, culturally, it's sort of just what we, you know, what we want to do. We want to give. And if you get something, you want to be able to give that back. So I think that that's the key is sort of having that foundation in their, in their undergraduate and in their graduate programs, a sense of community, a sense of connection, identity, um, that they're going to want to be able to, you know, to, to give back and sort of continue that circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Gonzalez, on the clinical side, what are some of the issues that you hear from Native people with regard to their own mental health needs? Oh, it's, I mean, it's very similar to on the, on the medical side as well, too, right? I mean, that, you know, mental health and behavioral health is a very Western European model um, in all of our graduate training and undergraduate training as well, too. So a lot of, you know, the health, mental health providers, um, if they're not Native, you know, they, they come at it from a very Western perspective, and that's a very foreign system. I mean, you know, we, you know, we don't sort of separate mental health and physical health and cultural health and spiritual health. I mean, they're all tied together, right? So when you have people who, you know, need mental health services and they, they you know, they're in their IHS clinics and, you know, really appreciate the brother from, from South Dakota there as well, too, talking about the importance of that, right, is that, you know, it's a very foreign system. And then, of course, you know, you know, people vote with their feet. They don't go back, right? But if you have someone who's trained, and especially if it's a Native person who's trained both in this Western world, you, you got to be able to speak that speak and you got to be able to get the resources or whatever. But if they're grounded in their cultural values and their spiritual beliefs, that culture is treatment, culture is prevention, right? I mean, doing ceremony and those kinds of things are really, really important um, for mental health and for physical health spiritual health and cultural health. So I think that that, that really is a struggle for Native people when they try to seek services. There's just not a lot of mental health providers who are able to appreciate their worldview and are be able to provide the services that they need from a cultural perspective, right? So that's you know, another you know, really important thing that, you know, trying to ensure that we have students who are getting their, their graduate degrees so that they can go back and provide those cultural um, services that are really, really important that are gonna help people heal. Dr. Gonzalez, today we've been talking about the need for Native American doctors and nurses, uh, psychologists. What about some of these other health professionals we haven't talked about yet? Radiologists, dietitians. Uh, what's the need there and, and what can be done to, to foster folks to go that direction as well? Um, I mean, we need more Native everything. I mean, so I'm mm -hmm. sure that there's need there. I mean, I don't know the details of all that or whatever, right? But I, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you know, I you know, heard the, 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 the native brother from South Dakota talking about, you know, I mean, we got to start, somebody start, talked about, we got to start as early as possible. I mean, again, our kids are struggling and, you know, we have in Minnesota, only 52% of our kids graduate from high school. I mean, we should be ashamed of ourselves as a society that the indigenous population is only graduating 52% from the high schools. I mean, right, so it's got to start as early as possible. And that's one thing that we do with our inside program as well, too, is we take some of our current students and we go and we recruit. I mean, we go to middle schools, high schools, and we sort of show them, you know, as early as possible that, hey, there's a pathway here. There's other native folks that are doing what you're doing or doing what you want to do, or maybe you don't even know you want to do this, right? But you can do this 
and there's others that are doing this and we're trying to sort of, you know, show them that there's a pathway. You know, we don't talk about pipelines um, in, in, at my university. We talk about pathways, right, that, um, that there's, a, there's a pathway for you and we're here to support you and we want you to come um, and be a part of our, our program. And Dr. Gonzalez, uh, is the tuition assistance, the scholarships, are they there? Because I know um, some of this training can be very, very costly and cost prohibitive in some cases. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, you know, again, we have a small grant where, you know, we're going to be looking for some more funding. I mean, right now we're able to provide $1,000 scholarships for our Native students at BSU. Starting next year, actually, the, uh, you know, in Minnesota, we, you know, we just passed some legislation that's going to, you know, provide um, all Native students um, with, with uh, I don't want to say free tuition because, you know, they, they still got to sort of get grants and things like that. It's going to meet their needs, basically, right? I mean, so they should be able to graduate with a debt-free education in Minnesota. And our scholarship will sort of be able to help that and any other sort of funding that they can get, you know, through grants or scholarships. And then the state will actually meet that need. So that's going to be true for all the universities in Minnesota. So that'll certainly be true for our, you know, that's at the undergraduate level. You know, when you get to the graduate level, it's sort of a different ball game. And, you know, most programs, you know, do provide, you know, some financial assistance. I know that, you know, the program at UND does that for those students there. You know, there's another insight program or insight, I guess, is an indigenous or Indians and psychology program at Oklahoma State University. John Cheney directs that program down there. There's another one over in Montana specifically for psychologists as well, too. Um, and then there's one in, in, in uh, Utah State University as well, too, although that one's not federally funded, but they do, you know, provide some financial support for Native students who want to get their degree in clinical or counseling psychology. So, yeah. Interesting conversation, Dr. Gonzalez. I want to thank you for your time, along with Dr. Mary Owen, Dr. Donald Warren, and Olivia Sloan as well, talking about Native doctors, nurses, and other health professionals I appreciate the callers we had as well. And if uh, you weren't able to get through today, go ahead and connect with us on social media. Let's keep the engagement going on Facebook and Instagram and our other channels as well. Let us know if you are a healthcare provider or maybe you're a patient. You've got anything to share, anything to add to this conversation. Let us know on our social media channels. Join us tomorrow for another discussion. We'll talk about how increasing efforts to limit access to books about diversity is affecting Native authors, librarians, and school officials. Hope you'll tune in, and until then, enjoy the rest of your day. My precious relatives, protect your health and wellness. Help your family and community stay healthy by making sure you and your loved ones are up to date on vaccines, RSV, seasonal flu, and COVID-19 booster vaccines are available now. For more information on vaccines, contact your Indian healthcare provider or visit vaccines.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the 9th Annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.